I'm very, to, uh, very happy to have you all um, here uh, for this uh, fantastic panel uh, on a really important issue. Um, my name is Chris Hart. I'm a partner at Foley HOAG and I'm co-chair of the DBA's DNI section. Um, and my co-chair, uh, Jasmine Jean Lewis, who hopefully will be joining us shortly, um, uh, and I will be moderating this discussion. But the stars of the show um, are going to introduce themselves. And I'm just going to do this by, by way of my screen um, and just ask each one of you um, uh, to introduce yourselves. So um, uh, Angela, perhaps we can start with you. Thank you. Um, hello all, my name is Angela Clark. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am a Fidelity Associate for a little over 22 years, which is a little scary. I've been part of the diversity and inclusion team as the DNI leader for a little over two years. And I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you, Angela. Marguerite? Hi everyone, I'm Marguerite Fletcher. My pronouns are also she, her, and hers. Um, I'm the president of Fletcher Consulting, a small consulting firm here in the Boston area. We focus on DEI issues um, with lots of different types of organizations. Um, I'm also the chair of YW Boston um, and um, a Hale and Door alum. Thanks. Thanks, Marguerite. Adam? Hi, uh, Adam Harmon, he and his. I'm currently at Wilmer Hale. I'm one of two. Uh, diversity and inclusion managers. We have a team of three. Uh, we have a director, Tracy West, also based in Boston. Um, prior to getting to Wilmerham in this role, I've been there a little bit over a year now. Um, I was at Boston University in career services, and before that, I was a practicing attorney at Foley Hoag. So I worked with Chris Hart, and um, Marguerite was actually the first person to give me in the real world our uh, implicit bias training. So um, it all comes around. Thanks, Adam. April? Good afternoon, I'm April English. I'm an Assistant Attorney General at the Massachusetts Attorney General's Office. I currently serve as Chief of Organization Development and Diversity. My pronouns are also she, her, hers, and I am also um, on the Board of Directors for YW Boston. Thank you, April. And of course, last but not least, Jasmine. And you're muted. Difficulties, but yes, uh, my name is Jasmine Jean Lewis. I'm an AAG at the Attorney General's Office, and I am one of the co chairs for the VA's DNI hearing committee. Thanks again, everyone. So just to give uh, everybody who's watching a, um, just a quick overview of what we're going to do here, um, uh, we'll have a panel discussion uh, for probably uh, 45 minutes or so. Um, and we invite Q&A. Uh, you'll see at the bottom of your screen, there's actually a Q&A function. Please feel free to ask questions as we go. Um, uh, we'll probably, Jasmine and I will probably use our discretion on um, whether to ask a question, uh, ask a question panelists as we go or to wait until the end, but uh, few, please feel free to do so. Um, the last thing I want to mention, and uh, just so everybody's aware that um, the, the DNI section is also co-sponsoring an event on May 28th uh, from 5.30 to 7.30, uh, demystifying the on-campus interview process uh, in light of COVID-19. So mark your calendars for that. So let me start with the question for all panelists. And again, for all of these, since we're doing this virtually, I'll just call on people as we go. But um, what are one or two issues you've addressed uh, as, your, um, uh, as your respective organizations have transitioned to working remotely um, as, as a response to the pandemic? What are two, one or two uh, issues with regard to DEI that you've, that you've addressed? And um, Adam, let's start with you. Sure. Um, so I think the first one is um, just communication and making sure that attorneys and staff members feel included in the firm. Um, 
if you look at the history of it, a lot of diverse attorneys say that they don't necessarily feel included. And even in the, um, the brick and mortar workplace, they, they feel invisible a lot of times. And so making sure that we're doing the outreach we can to make people feel included when they're not necessarily with their teams um, and doing that in sort of a broader sense. So not just the people you're working with on your team or on whatever deal you're in, but making sure that practice group leaders are reaching out, making sure that office managers are reaching out so that we can uh, help to bridge that divide between, you know, being at home by yourself, but also feeling like you're part of a team in a way that's done very deliberately as opposed to, um, you know, before you would just walk down the hallway and bump into somebody and you can have those conversations, check in, say, how are you doing? Um, but making sure we're doing that in a deliberate way to make sure everybody's got that kind of an outreach so that it doesn't exacerbate those feelings that were there previously. Um, and so we've put in a lot of effort to make sure that people are doing that and that they're doing that in a way that's empathetic, that makes people feel like they're being listened to as opposed to, you know, all the problems are being solved. And I think that's gone a long way to sort of alleviate some of the fears that attorneys are feeling during this period. So I like that. That's, um, deliberately reaching out to people and, and cultivating and understanding where people are coming from um, and developing empathy. Um, April. Sure. I think right now for us, we've ramped up kind of our wellness and well-being. Um, we have a wellness and well-being committee at our office. And right now being that um, everyone is working remotely, we're definitely not similarly situated in that not everyone has the same situation. So some of our staff are taking care of elderly parents. Some of our staff are parents themselves with very young children who are in the home while they're in the home, while they are trying to work, while they are trying to homeschool. Um, we also have staff who have relatives that are in nursing homes. Um, so being cognizant of the fact that people are not similarly situated. And that even extends to um, video calls, right? Not everyone may want their home exposed, right? Not everyone may feel as if they are readily available to be seen via video. Um, and so having the understanding that um, there may be a video call and one of your employees may actually not be on video, they just may be on the call. Um, and being okay with that and understanding people's situations. And then additionally, in terms of wellness and well-being, um, really keeping an eye out for our um, employees of color who may be overwhelmed right now with all of the things that I just spoke about, um, in addition to being part of um, the population that has been most impacted um, by COVID-19 in addition to other things that are happening in the world um, that relate to people of color. And so really having a basic um, understanding and as Adam said, empathy around people's situationships is what I call them um, and being able to try to relate um, to what people are going through and truly trying to step out of your own home and into someone else's home, right? As opposed to shoes um, and really be there for them as a resource. Thanks, April. Angela. I'm actually gonna piggyback off of what April said. Two thoughts come to mind, but let me say up front, I have construction going on in my house. I'm on third floor. You may still hear banging. There's nothing I can do about it. So apologies <laughs> in advance. Um, April, you just brought something to mind. I call it Zoom etiquette. And so given the fact we don't really understand anyone else's situations, and I think that's okay, just being really respectful to other folks' situations. And so we put together just these Zoom etiquette tips um, to help ensure that everyone was thinking more broadly about just situations. So for example, 
I have a nine-year-old. My nine-year-old may be walking by every now and then. Old school, like I've been at Fidelity for 22 years, we would never allow those things to happen, right? But new things have changed. Um, and given this environment, you have parents working from home, you have people taking care of their kids, um, elderly parents, whatever it is, we just have to be really responsible and respectful. Um, and I think sometimes that gets lost. The second thing I think that goes along with that is just slowing down. Um, given this whole inclusivity thing that we are trying to make, um, just to really put in everyone's minds. Um, oftentimes you're in a rush, you're jumping on a conference call, there are so many things you need to get accomplished in the hour. Taking that one or two minutes up front just to ask folks how they're doing. People will be more than open to share how they feel and how they're doing if you ask the question. And so we've done a lot of that. I do breathing exercises on calls just to kick a call off or ask everyone, how are you feeling today? What's one thing you're struggling with or you're stressed about? Um, and allow it to be okay and allow people that freedom to share. So I found those things really important um, and hopefully they're working. That's great, thanks Angela. Uh, Marguerite. So, um, you know, my organization's a little different in that this is all we do is, is DEI work and, you know, in support of our clients. So um, I guess one of the first things we did was figure out how we were gonna get our programs um, online and be able to offer them virtually so we could continue to work. So we were, we had just finished and we were in the reporting phase with the Museum of Science on a cultural assessment. And so, you know, quickly we kind of got up to speed on Zoom to deliver that and, um, and then to, to continue an assessment we were doing at BU Law School. Um, so that that worked pretty well, but I remember getting um, friends and neighbors to do a practice Zoom with me so I could have all the pitfalls happen with friends. Um, it was a nightmare, that first one. Um, and I'd like to say it's gotten better with, with each time through. So that's that's one thing. And then in terms of our group with my colleagues, what we've started doing is kind of, it's, it's similar to what some of you um, have mentioned is just to support one another. We now have like a monthly um, talk and we're using it as an opportunity to kind of dive deeper on some DEI issue. So we're getting together to talk about things. So a couple weeks ago, we got together to talk about um, gender, gender binary and not just using pronouns, but supporting people in the workplace and how can we support our clients and what kinds of things should we be looking out for. Um, and I think next time we're going to talk about, um, well, we were going to kick it off with Ahmad Arbery and that situation. And I don't know how many of you saw the news from Minneapolis yesterday, another police killing. Um, and so, you know, we're just going to try to have these kind of, I think the next talk is going to be, how are people feeling at work? right? And is it okay to be upset? And how do you talk to your colleagues about these kinds of things? So that's another thing that we're doing is just trying to connect in that way. That's very helpful. And, and Marguerite, if I can stick with you for, for a moment, um, you know, thinking about uh, the, the kinds of issues that have been, been raised by the pandemic and, and efforts to continue um, uh, trying to create inclusive environments and to, and to continue making people aware of um, uh, of DEI issues. What, what's one long-term issue that you think em employers should be aware of in terms of moving forward and moving out of uh, the situation that we're in now? So, you know, I think, Chris, when we look back to the, um, I mean, everyone's saying we're going into a recession after this, right? And um, 
when I think back to the, the 2008 recession, I think there's some lessons that we could learn. And the biggest lesson I would say is we need to apply a DEI lens to absolutely everything. So my hope is that um, law firms in particular are going to be paying attention now to work allocation. So who's getting work assignments? Um, as offices start opening back up, apply a DEI lens to who's coming back to work and how, and are there ways to support people who have to come? Because I can imagine it's going to be the people who are billing by the hour who are likely to be able to stay at home um, and support staff who are coming back to work. So how do we make sure that we're protecting people and providing supports they need? Because when I, when I was referring to 2008, what I remember happening was there were a fair number of firms in the Boston area that had, you know, a reasonable amount of diversity in 2008. And then they looked up in 2010 and said, oops, don't know what happened, right? Where the, the ranks of our, our attorneys are no longer as diverse as they were before. So I'm hoping that won't happen to us again because, you know, more black and brown people got laid up last time disproportionately, right? So hoping that's a lesson that we can learn and that we would start applying a DEI lens to absolutely everything we do. That's, that's very important. Um, thank you for that. And uh, Angela, um, what about you? What, what, what's a long-term issue employers should be aware of moving forward? Well, this is an issue necessarily, but I think um, it has really come to light given the fact that we're in this pandemic. And so we would suggest just rethinking the importance of um, remote locations and remote work environments. Let me give you an example. I think about Fidelity specifically and the fact that we have almost 200 investor centers across the country. And when you think about an investor center, you want that touchy-feely experience, touchy-feely experience, right? Similar to a bank. You want to walk into a bank, you want to tell it to support you. You could be giving them lots of your hard-earned money. So you want that face-to-face -face connection. Um, we thought the same thing at Fidelity. And so with the 200 investor centers, we have been trying for years to come up with processes that allow some of our associates to work from home. And although we've done it, um, we still struggled over the years. Given the pandemic, we had 99% of our entire US-based workforce working from home within a week and a half, 99%. And so I would just ask folks to really be thoughtful in thinking about how you deem what employees work where. And so we have something called the results only work environment. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter for us. And that's not all of Fidelity, but it doesn't really matter where you're working. As long as the results are there and the work gets done, we're happy. And so as we continue to think about this pandemic um, and just other challenges that we will definitely see in the future, do your employees all have to be um, in the office? And are there opportunities for them to work and be just as successful, if not more successful, right? Not having to commute to work, not having to take public transportation, not having to fight to get to, I'm, I'm thinking about me selfishly in Boston, fight uh, to get back and forth to work every day, fight the traffic. Are there opportunities for us to be thinking greater about how we support our associates um, in their well-being? That's a terrific point. Thank you, Angela. Um, April, same question to you. So I think right now um, it's extremely important um, to be intentional in this space. Um, and one piece of that is being intentional about the retention of diverse talent, right? Um, as Marguerite talked about in 2008, we had this recession and we saw the impact of it on DNI work 
as well as in terms of retaining um, individuals from um, diverse communities, okay? And so I think we wanna be intentional about being part of the solution, right? Right now, the majority of individuals who are on, a, on unemployment are people of color as well as women of color in particular, right? So why not be that company, organization, agency, firm, what have you, that is part of the solution in a situation and is making sure that there is true focus on retaining your diverse talent that is in the office, as opposed to then putting them in this bucket of the population, the high population of individuals who are on unemployment. Um, and also being intentional about the fact that um, typically when there are financial woes um, at your job, right, at your place of employment, the first thing to go is DE&I. How about we don't do that? How about we just be that deliberate, be that intentional and don't do that? Because right now is such prime, it's such a prime time to have these resources and to have the support for any organization and agency. Like if we thought that in January of 2020, it was most important, definitely May 2020 going forward, it is extremely important because of the, the, the situation that we're in, in the, the amount of disparities that we're dealing with. Granted, these disparities existed well before the pandemic. They have been amplified by this pandemic. So why not be part of the solution as opposed to adding to the problem? Thanks, April. Okay. And, and Adam, uh, from your perspective, and, and you're coming from a, from a firm, and, you'll, and everybody will know that we've got um, representation from a wide variety of, of, um, of legal organizations. So Adam, from your perspective, what's, what's a long-term issue that employers should be aware of uh, moving forward? And you're muted. Um, I think a lot of the main ones were just spoken to, and um, Angela, I'm really glad you spoke to uh, maintaining the flexibility we're building now. I think that's something that um, it caused a lot of pain up front, figuring out how to work in this environment, how to allow flexibility for people, but it's going to be interesting to see when we get back into brick and mortar, um, when people get used to that kind of flexibility and building it into our lives, um, making sure that we carry that forward to give the same kind of um, leeway to people to work in that environment. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I think this may be a little bit specific to law firms, but just going into summer um, and figuring out how we continue to support and recruit the pipe, uh, build and support the pipeline of attorneys that are coming into the profession. Um, OCI and the entire summer process is all in upheaval right now and figuring out how we're going to support the law students that are coming into the profession. All the systems that have previously been in place with the BBA, the way law firms work, the way law schools work, the organizations, the ability to connect easily in already existing programs, that's sort of all gone at this point. And so we're trying to figure out how to support the law students that are gonna be coming into, into the profession, making sure they have the outreach and support necessary to succeed in what's an incredibly scary environment to be coming into. Um, and so I think that's something that we all have to make a concerted effort to support and figure out what it is that we can do to help. Um, because if we lose, in essence, a generation of, of diverse talent coming in over the course of the next year, because we're only focused on the next two or three months, it's gonna hurt us four or five years from now when we're looking at advancing and retaining diverse lawyers in the profession. And thanks. Just, can I just add one more thing? Please. Okay, just one more thing. April um, and Adam, you both just mentioned, said something that 
um, just made me think about a few years ago, Fidelity put together this quick research study, right? And you can find it online. This was not difficult. Just about the DNI progress in both bullish and bearish, bearish markets. And one thing that came up was um, just a point that April made. When things are going really well in the economy, companies tend to spend a lot more money um, in research on diversity and inclusion whether that's better recruiting, whether it's promoting more people of color, whether it's promoting women, different programs and processes, et cetera. But when the market is not doing so well, we have a bearish market, companies tend to shift their resources um, because that's something, DNI seems like something that you can give up. It seems like something's tangible and that you can actually take away. And so what I'm hoping um, that we all think about is diversity and inclusion, given the stats, given the business case, et cetera, et cetera, is something that's here to stay. And we should be thinking about solid plans that can be implemented independent of any bullish and bearish market or what's going on, what the outside factors are. So whether we're in a pandemic, whether it's a 1998, 2008 um, crash, like those things should be irrelevant when we're thinking about diversity and inclusion and some of the progress that we're looking to make. Thank you. And, you know, there, there's, we just got a very interesting question um, uh, from Jana Johnson. So first says, thank you to everybody. And she says, for those of us that aren't part of firm uh, DNI leadership or more junior and are not in a position to directly implement policy or initiatives, um, can any of you suggest ways uh, that, uh, that those, that those of us can work uh, remotely to influence diversity objectives and create a more inclusive workspace. And I don't know, I'm seeing lots of nods and I'm happy to, if somebody wants to raise their hand to volunteer, Angela. Um, I think there are lots of ways. So the question talked a little bit about influence. I guess what I would say to that person is we all have influence. I think it has a lot less to do with where you fall in the organization. Simple things that you can do every single day to continue to create diverse and inclusive practices are things we talked about, the Zoom etiquette. I think we can all do that making sure that everyone on your call feels comfortable all of the time, right? And letting people know, guess what? I'm having construction done in my house. At some point in time, I may have to turn off my video because I also have a nine-year-old that's walking by, but I'm still on the call. Like that's an inclusive practice that we can all get behind. If you're a hiring manager, I think about making sure you have diverse candidates on your slate and you do not fill a position unless you have diverse. And people might ask, what does diversity mean? Diversity for me is whatever's missing from your mix. So if you're at a law firm, when I think about a law firm, and I know most of you are, I think about white men. And so if I'm doing a diverse panel, I want to make sure that I have other than just white men on my panel, right, of interviewers as well as interviewees. So what do the people look like who are actually doing the interviews? Um, I think about if someone makes an unbiased or microaggression towards someone else and you happen to be in the room, are you a person that stands by and witnesses it? Or do you speak up in a way that resonates with the person you're talking to? Like, oh, by the way, you called this person she. At the beginning of the call, the person actually told you their pronouns are he, his, and him. The person is not a she. And so those are the things I think that we can all do to make sure we all feel more included in that. And, and you know one of the one of the things that um, that this points to, and that uh, and that you were all really touching on uh, in answers to the last questions, is really adaptive tools and adaptive resources um, that organizations uh, are are using um, to to address 
current and longer term DEI issues. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, sort of digging in a little bit more into that, I know you've, I know you've touched on some of that. Um, I wonder if, if there are any other policies or resources that you found helpful in th thinking about um, in thinking about adapting or what or what you've had to do to adapt that you can then carry forward. Um, I don't know, maybe April, we can start with you on that. Sure. So um, I love the Attorney General's office and I'm gonna share with you um, an extremely important reason why I do is because <clears throat> through this pandemic, we're not, we are focused on our staff wholeheartedly 100%, but we are also the people's law firm which means that we are focused on the communities as well right now. And we are a resource for the communities. And so when you talk about resources, and I mentioned earlier about the disparities that are amplified right now. You have the disparities in healthcare, you have food inequities, you have environmental injustices, you have the lack of education resources um, for vulnerable communities, and just the lack of information regarding resources to navigate all of this. And that is not available in marginalized and vulnerable communities. Not the Black communities, not Latinx, not the immigrant communities, um, not um, the disability communities. It's, it's the information and resources is not at our fingertips, right? And these are communities that our staff are members of, right? And so as we're focusing on being a resource and having policies in place to support our staff, we also have to be a resource and have policies in place um, in order to be on the front lines of equipping people with the necessary information that they need. Um, we, uh, last month or so, um, put together flyers on Know Your Rights, information for immigrants in a number of languages, um, domestic violence resource flyers, again, in various languages. Um, we. Um, handed out tablets to nursing homes, nursing facilities, and really started connecting um, even more so with our community leaders, community organizations, and faith-based organizations to just simply ask, what is it that your communities need? So I say this to say that we are focused not just on our staff, but on the rest of the communities or on the communities in Massachusetts. That make up our office, right? And so it's, it's twofold for us. Um, and I think that that is an important, um, important role to take on as an office. And so just as proactive as we are for supporting our employees is just as proactive we have to be in supporting the communities that our employees are a part of. That's a really important perspective, April. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, Marguerite, um, uh, on this question of, of, uh, of policies or resources that are sort of adaptive in this environment. Um, so I just want to mention um, YW Boston um, wrote a blog about seven tips for virtual meetings. And so I would recommend that to everybody, ywboston.org. Check it out. The blog post is there. Really helpful. You know, it was posted on LinkedIn, got a lot of attention. Um, so paying attention to making sure you're running your meetings in an inclusive way, particularly while we're remote. I mean, of course, it's important when we're back in the office as well, but I think some of these disparities are just um, 
exacerbated when we're apart. Um, I also think, you know, virtual platforms like this one, like Zoom and other virtual platforms have been really, really helpful in this time. I mean, thank goodness we had them. I know there's, at the end of the day, sometimes I feel a little zoomed out, as I imagine some of you do as well. Um, but at least we have it as a resource and a tool to use. So those are the two I'd mentioned, but definitely check out the YW Boston seven virtual, seven tips for virtual meetings. On the on zoomed out, I will say that I define my weekends right now as not having Zoom meetings. So. Oh, there you go. Angela <laughs> yeah. um, Adam, I don't know if you have anything further to add on the adaptive um, uh, point. You know, Adam, I was thinking actually about the summer programs, for example. You know, that's something thinking creatively about that. I think is really really important. But I'm not sure if you have anything um, that you want to add to that in terms of thinking about um, adaptation to this environment going forward. Uh, no, I. I I would be speaking preemptively if I were to talk to the summer program because I think we're all still trying to figure out what that's going to look like in our own different environments. Um, but I think one tip for people who are not in the roles that we're in, for, I mean, those of us that are on the panel are in the DNI world to some degree or another. Um, but if you're not in this space, if you're not working in it, um, sign up for listservs for all the affinity groups and LinkedIn as annoying as that platform can be, it can be incredibly helpful too. Connect with the people on this platform and connect with the DNI professionals that you know, and that algorithm works magic to get those articles like Marguerite spoke to um, in your feed because you may not have the time to go do the research yourself, but it helps in that sense because you log in and then all of those articles are there at your fingertips already because the algorithm feeds it in based upon the people that you connect with, and that's really helped me. That's how I found some of the, some of the articles that I use to then put together communication for the leadership within our firm about different tips to, to stay connected and to build an inclusive workspace that's still virtual. Um, and I didn't know who the people were and how it got onto my feed, but it's because of the people I was connected with. Thank you. I'm going to now throw the football to Yasmin uh, to carry us forward. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, so I want to shift slightly from where we've been talking, which is here and now and the issues that we're trying to address as we're all working remotely. Now, when we get to some normalcy, um, what are some practices or resources that you want to continue? I know that there are some that we've definitely mentioned now that I imagine you will want to carry forward, but I guess I'll start with April. If there are any practices or resources that you see the AG's office implementing in the long term, even after we return to some normalcy. <laughs> um, I think right now um, a great focus is to um, address returning to um, not, I don't want to say returning to, but address creating what is going to be the new normal, right? Um, from a holistic space, from a holistic approach. Um, and what I mean is um, something that Adam spoke about very early on um, is from a spirit of empathy and compassion. Um, this pandemic has exposed so much, um, but it has also hurt so much. Um, and there are people who have lost loved ones. Um, there are people who have themselves been sick, right? So you are in a space where coworkers, right, are coming to the new normal or returning to work who may have been um, emotionally, mentally, and physically um, impacted by this pandemic, right? So we can't say, woo, June 8th, 
562 AGO employees back in the office. Boom. You can't do that. You just, you can't do that anywhere. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> we're certainly not going to do that. Um, and so you have to plan ahead to see what returning to work even looks like. And if there's a necessity to physically being at work. And if there is, what does that look like for the people that physically should be at work? Um, and then how do you make sure that people are okay, right? Because you still have parents, summer schools, or summer, summer activities. I'm sorry, I have a 21 year old, so I'm thinking summer school, but summer camp, right? Gone. Right. So you still have parents who are at home trying to figure out this madness with the kids at home in the summertime. So the kids are at home in the summertime free. So no homeschooling, just free. Um, that's a lot. That is a lot um, for people to take on. And so thinking about that, again, a holistic approach. Does that individual really need to be? in the office or returning back to the office, right? Because what happens to the kids, right? And so I think that as we're considering what happens next, what our new normal looks like, um, I know that we are moving from a spirit of empathy and compassion, and it comes from the top down which is a wonderful thing um, because you can't throw everyone back. That's, that's literally a death sentence right there. You just can't do it. Thank you, April. Uh, Andrew, is there anything that you want to add? Yeah, a, a couple of things come to mind. First, um, just to April's point, I think just making sure that we have an inclusive process across the board when we think about flexibility, um, irrespective of the fact that Angela Clark has a nine-year-old at home who won't be going to camp. That'll be stressful enough this summer. But even the fact that April has a 21-year-old, she might have someone that she's taking care of at home. Why can't we build just a more inclusive practice at all so that it takes into consideration everyone? Versus saying, you know what, Angela, you're going to need more flexibility, so I'm going to give you more flexibility, but April and Marguerite don't. And Adam's a male, he doesn't need any additional flexibility. So let's not, take, let's not uh, think about everyone as siloed. Let's think about a more co a collective process that works for all. Um, so, that, so that's one thing that, that comes to mind. The other thing, if I think about just returning to normal, I don't even really know what that means, to be perfectly honest with you, because we are so far away from anything that's normal, anything I ever thought would happen in my lifetime by walking around with masks on all day, even in the grocery store, right? And I'm just calling a thing a thing. It's out there. I don't know what a new norm, what a normal looks like. Maybe a new normal, but a couple of things that Fidelity has put together um, just to help, even before we get to work, just on the returning to work and things that we should be considering. I think about three things: um, analyzing the overall return to work sentiment, and maybe doing some type of survey by age, by demographic, by where you live, whatever it is, saying like, what are the things that are scary for you in an environment where we're looking to go back to work. And so why don't we just ask the people that are actually coming back to work what they think and what are some things that we can put in place that better support them. Um, the second thing I already mentioned a little bit is just making sure that we have Zoom meetings all of the time. And as you're thinking about going back to work, oftentimes if you're a senior leader in the organization, most senior leaders typically come back to work first. But is there a way for us to be more included to make sure that doesn't happen? And so how do we assign 
different parts and pockets of the organization to come back first. So we don't have all the 50 year old white men coming back first and then everyone else after them. So they all are in meetings together while everyone else is on Zoom. How do we prevent some of those things from happening? Um, and then the third thing I think about is don't tie the flexibility benefits and part-time opportunities, like I mentioned before, to caregiving, to someone having to take care of their kids, to not having camp and stuff like that, uh, not having camp um, during the summer. So let's just come up with something that works for all. And so I can go on and on, but Fidelity actually put together and actually have my list of things right here, a whole list of return to work, um, planning considerations for diversity and inclusion at all organizations. Uh, and I can certainly share it, but those are just a few. Thank you, Angela. Uh, Adam? I think moving forward, um, one of the things that I, I'm going to see as a value add, even though it's been, I think, probably the, one of the most painful parts of working at home is the use of technology. I think it's something that we maybe didn't shy away from, but just never really considered using and leveraging to the ability we have now. Um, so just to give you an example, um, I work out of Boston, but I'm responsible for the offices in Denver, Los Angeles, Palo Alto, and San Francisco. I try to get out there as much as possible, having face-to-face -face conversations is really like one of the easiest ways for me to build relationships with my attorneys and figure out um, what's going on in each of the individual offices. But if I have a new diverse attorney who joined, say, the Denver office, um, previously, it, it may have been not until we had a firm-wide event for that diverse attorney to meet the other people within the affinity group. Um, but now that we're all working virtually from home, instead of just having our Boston diversity luncheon, um, we have firm-wide events for all of our different affinity groups, and people have been able to connect across the offices, across the firm, I think a lot more readily than they had previously, and utilizing this technology and this power to help connect people, to help build the affinity groups, to help uh, people feel a little bit less isolated, even within the pockets of the firm that they may work in, is something that's really powerful. And if we use it correctly and we drop off the Zoom fatigue because it's not going to be used for everything, I think this is something that can really help build DNI programs across the profession. Thank you, Adam. And I think that is a good point, the use of technology, even though it's basically at our fingertips, I don't think we've done a good job of using it, at least in the workforce. Um, so, uh, Marguerite. So the flexibility piece was the thing that was primarily on my mind as well, that everybody has um, already brought up. And I'm hoping that it'll be individualized enough, right? And so that there'll be, a higher trust factor given all that's happened because I think sometimes people aren't trusted to work from home and I've heard managers say things like well how do I know you're going to be working and why should we be paying you if you're going to be if you don't have childcare? things like that those kinds of comments I'm hoping that that'll go away we've had this long period of time to show that people can be productive and people are working really hard but the other thing I was thinking about was um maybe this is an opportunity for us to be better about hiring people who have disabilities. Because I, I think we haven't, you know, when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, like who's, who's missing from our workspaces as we look around law firms? I mean, maybe this is an opportunity because maybe if you don't physically need to be in the office, we've shown that we don't need that. So could we improve on accessibility issues and accessibility hiring at this point? So. No, no, it's nice to find some silver linings. Maybe we'll learn some things from this pandemic. And so that would be one thing I would hope is we could pay more attention to that. Okay, thank you, Marguerite. Uh, the next question, and I'll pose it to you, Marguerite, is how has the pandemic impacted the ways that we conceptualize or uh, look to implement 
uh, DNI work in the legal profession. So, you know, I think this was this was mentioned earlier, right? That I think Angela was talking about the fact that in in good times, right, in good markets, people pay attention to DEI. There's budget for it, and then it tends to go away um, in bad times. And I'm really hoping that won't be the case now. I mean, as I look across um, certainly the law firms in Boston, it's really nice to see how many of them now have DEI professionals in them. You know, I mean, there was a I think. Ooh, I think it might have been Bingham was the first one years ago to get somebody and then it, it took a long time. But now there's quite a cohort, right? I mean, I think Adam has even been organizing events, right? You have enough people to have an event for the DEI professionals. So that's fantastic. So I think people are paying attention. And, you know, and, and so it's not just the law firms, it's also companies like Fidelity and it's, and it's government like the AG's office. Um, I'm really encouraged because last week and this week, I mean, I'll just give a little shout out to the Office of the Inspector General here in Massachusetts. They have been making DEI work a priority. They started working on it a couple of years ago. And, you know, of course, there's a budget, a bit of a budget crunch, but they said this is a priority and we're going to continue with our priorities. So we went virtual with some workshops last week and this week. So I think um, that just shows that, that it's important. Um, BU Law was in the middle of their assessment and we've been we've been continuing that piece of work. So I'm really encouraged when I see that, even though I know times are tough and um, several of my clients have had to completely close their doors for the time being, like some of the museums. And that's, I think, a little bit tough, but we're trying to find ways. In fact, to that question earlier that someone had about like, if I'm not in management, what can I do? Um, I've been talking to folks at the Museum of Fine Arts and they are, this is kind of an employee initiative talking about affinity groups. So this is a great time. You don't have to be in management to pull together an affinity group. In fact, maybe it's even easier over this virtual technology. So different organizations finding different ways to, to do this. Um, and, and one more thing, um, and this is outside of the legal profession, but Museum of Science. They've been offering programs virtually and now paying attention to making, to putting a DEI lens on that as well to make sure how do they make it accessible to all communities. So that's kind of encouraging. Okay. I just dive real quick, Marguerite, and just say that I'm sure the Inspector General's um, office had a wonderful referral from the Attorney General's office <laughs> regarding your services. You know, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, I guess April, since she chimed in. <laughs> what I, <wanna> add. <laughs> I say that actually to say that is a way for us in this DEI world, right, to make sure that we're continuing this work is to uplift the work. So uplift the people who are invested in this work, who are doing this work, um, who have trainings on this work or what have you, continuing to encourage firms, organizations, agencies um, to stay focused on what they were already doing to grow and get better. And here are the resources. So knowing, knowing those resources. And as Marguerite said about um, kind of establishing affinity groups, um, I encourage my staff to do that um, uh, at the Attorney General's office. Come together, um, let's do a Zoom call, let's do Zoom coffee together as a large group. Um, I had several um, employees of color reach out to me saying, we need something, right? We can't, we can't have our lunches, we can't have our happy hour. Can we have a Zoom call? 
Um, and so I was like, oh, I guess that does make sense. And so we did. Um, and it was incredible and it was great. And it was like a relief. Everyone was happy to see each other. And um, so it, doing things like that, um, I think is important and continues um, to push um, all our efforts for DE&I work. And I just wanna add this uh, last piece to um, the question about how, how to help if you're, if you're junior. Um, one thing that I think um, is a good idea in terms of remote meetings when you're on video meetings is, and, and this, you may feel like this is uncomfortable as a junior associate or a junior attorney or what have you, but try to be a meeting monitor right? Try to assess who hasn't spoken, who has spoken, who you can piggyback on to amplify their voice or what have you, um, but really paying attention to who seems to have been excluded and kind of bringing them into the conversation um, it is a good way to kind of be, be part of the push for inclusivity remotely. Thank you. Uh, Angela or Adam, if there's anything you want to add. Uh, just again, April, you have me this thinking. Exactly what Chris and Jasmine are doing right here. It's perfect. So they're not waiting for us to speak. They're actually calling on everyone individually. And of course, we did a lot of prep before this, but just to make sure that everyone has a voice on the call. I think that's part of what April's saying, um, which I think is huge. The only other thing I would add is virtual 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 and that's all i wrote down for this question i think the more we can do things that are virtually given this environment and future environments it's so helpful we just launched fidelity has four diversity and inclusion programs massive programs that we're launching this year one is focused on women so we have 500 women in the development program unbeknownst to any of us right we didn't know the pandemic was coming this launched in january and as you can imagine we did a lot of prep at the end of last year it's virtual um, I've also launched three weeks ago a program specifically for people of color and development, plus their managers. I would have had to cancel that whole program after doing months and months of prep. Fortunately, it's 100% virtual. So just being creative um, and not having the virtual piece as a secondary thing, but really think about how we can be creative in using virtual technology um, at the forefront of any of the work we're trying to do, I think is really, really helpful and provides more diverse and inclusivity for all. Um, I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record and I swear I sound like somebody who says tech is going to save us all and that's not what I believe. But um, it, it touches on what you were saying. We have mentoring circles within the firm um, and I saw there was a question in the chat about how to get those sort of informal communications and informal relationships built when you're not able to see each other on a regular basis. One of the things we've done within the firm is build mentoring circles that cuts across seniority, specifically for diverse attorneys to meet people outside of the practice groups. Um, just so that they know each other um, to help build those relationships. And we actually launched those in some of our larger offices during the pandemic. It had been planned previously, and the idea is that they'll meet and do these social events, but we found that it was actually um, very well received to launch it during the pandemic because people have a little bit more flexibility and willing to get on a Zoom meeting to do, you know, everything from a virtual happy hour to one of the groups did like um, Wilmer Hell Cribs and the partners walked around and showed them their house and you know, said, this is where I work, this is, this is my spouse who's cooking dinner right now, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was taking a tool that, um, taking a tool to help build those relationships in this kind of environment that I, I think was very well received. 
Thank you, Adam. And to get to the question that we uh, we have, um, for organizations that may not have individuals like you who are making sure that these efforts are continuing even while we're working remotely, um, what are some things that you could uh, or you would recommend that someone who is an ally or someone who is a diverse attorney uh, who maybe is by themselves who or they work in an organization that doesn't have the resources or you know someone higher up in management making sure that these initiatives are uh, being moved forward. So I guess on the part of someone who's an ally who wants to make sure that these practices are continuing, uh, as well as attorneys of color or diverse attorneys who um, may work at organizations that don't have a system in place already and are finding it more difficult now. So I've one suggestion on that front. I was thinking back to, as you were talking, all of a sudden I got this memory of like, when I was a, a, a first year, um, a young lawyer at Hale and Door back in the day and kind of it seemed as if there was one of us kind of at each firm and we connected the, the lawyers of color the associates of color so we would connect and we would get together just on our own and then we would go hit up the partners of color to get a little budget going and so we would hold events like for the summer associates of color and things like that so if you're alone somewhere I would say don't just be alone. So try to reach out to others in your situation at other firms, but then also find allies within the firm. And whether it's HR or someone in your department that you've been talking to, and then just see what you can, it doesn't have to be a huge comprehensive thing, but maybe you start with something small or you create that affinity group. You invite some people to go have lunch to talk about these issues. And then even as an individual, there are always things you can, always interrupt bias when you see it. You can try to promote in inclusion, just bringing people in. So all those things are possible. And then I would say do things like, um, I think Adam mentioned earlier that LinkedIn has a lot of resources on it. And I think I think that's that's true. And it's great to see the things that that come through your feed. I mean, if anyone wants to follow Fletcher Consulting, we try to put, put out interesting articles on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> But he's right. Once you start opening those things, more of them will come to you. So that, that's what I would suggest. Don't stay alone. Thank you. April? Thank you. Um, definitely don't stay alone. Seek out um, what I call family. Seek out family um, and connect. Um, also, if you don't have individuals like us, um, create try to create um, your own diversity and inclusion and equity committee. Um, that's how I got into the position that I'm in. We had a committee. I co-chaired it for almost 10 years. Um, when the Attorney General, um, when Attorney General Haley came into the office, a huge focus on diversity and creating an inclusive environment and wanted someone who was going to specifically focus on that work. Ta-da, here I am, right? Um, so, and I've also spoken to other agencies that don't have people like us um, in the office, um, and they've created um, diversity, equity, and inclusion committees. And so that's like, that's a good start. Um, and so I encourage people, see something, say something, right? So if you see something's not there, um, and there's obviously a need for it, say something and see how you can create that space within your firm, organization, or agency. Uh, Angela? 
I mean, I, I could go on and on. I think it, they've captured a lot of the things that I would be thinking about. Employee resource groups are the first ones that come to mind. Um, probably not as easy to create an ERG. It's probably not as easy as we think. Um, but it only takes one person at a time to change things, right? To change the world. And so there's power in numbers at all levels in the organization. And my assumption is just based on the business case that has been out there for eons and eons, and I won't repeat it. I repeat it on every call. I won't repeat it here. You can certainly look it up. I think there's space and room and people at every organization who are willing to put in time and effort to support the diversity and inclusion cause. And I think to Marguerite's point earlier, making sure, or to April's point, if you see something, say something. If you see, hear about inequities or microaggressions or things that don't make sense, you have a voice. You have a voice. And I feel like if you're not on the, the, the right side of the road and you're not actively fighting against it, then you're part of the problem. And so I encourage all of us to speak on those things that don't make sense and that don't resonate. And it all has a lot to do with the environment in which, which you're in. You might work for a firm who is, when we think about gender equity, where it's 50-50 and you have 50% of the leaders, right? Managers and above who are women and you have 50% of the men. So that's awesome. That's something you don't necessarily need to think about. So it always depends on the environment that you're in. Are you struggling with you know, uh, people of color? Are you struggling with women? Are you struggling with um, you know, younger generations not moving up as fast? Are you struggling, do you have a millennial problem? It just depends on what problem you're trying to solve. And then you seek out allies to support you in the work. In determining what the work is, is huge before you get started. Otherwise, you're, you're running around chasing something um, and probably not making a whole lot of progress. And so we're approaching the hour. So I'll just ask uh, the question and feel free to jump in. Um, what's one thing that you feel optimistic about as it relates to DNI in the legal profession as we emerge from this pandemic? I'll start if you don't mind. I, if, for me, I think as soon as we started working from home, I had more outreach from leadership, non-diverse leadership asking, what can I do to support? It's going to change. I remember what happened in 2008, asking for guidance, asking for leadership from the DNI team. Um, and so it made me feel really good about our program that they know that we're here. They're actually invested in helping support us. And I feel like if coming into the pandemic, that's uh, sort of the response that we got. I have a lot of faith and a lot of hope that coming out of it, it's going to continue to build on that. Anyone want to add to it? I'll jump in. Um, we've already started doing such great work um, in this space. The momentum is there and this pandemic has just really shown us how important this work truly is, especially moving forward. Um, and we should just really care about that work um, at this point. Celebrate what we've done thus far and really focus on um, how we continue to push it forward um, and keeping in mind that we should really care about our vulnerable communities because our vulnerable communities exist in our workplace. They're our friends and they're our colleagues. And so this work is crucial. Um, in our, in our places of employment wholeheartedly. I'd say just looking at all your faces gives me encouragement because you know all of you are placed in different organizations and you care about this work and you're doing it. And I'm really thrilled that the BBA 
has made a space for this as well. So I'm encouraged with that by that. So I think that wraps up our panel. Thank you everyone for uh, for joining. Your insights were very helpful and I hope our audience also found them to be helpful and things that they can take with them back to their respective organizations. Uh, I don't know if you conclude or have anything else to add. I just want to thank our panelists for a terrific conversation. Thank you all very much. Uh, and I'm sorry for the, for the questions we weren't able to answer for, for the ones that I'm seeing here on the screen, but um, you can feel, I'm sure you can feel, real, feel free to reach out to us individually. But thanks again, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Bye.